how y'all doing? Fantastic. My name's Chris. Welcome to One Church. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're in the middle of a series on Esther entitled Becoming a Person of Influence. And uh, if you were with us last week, uh, we saw in Esther chapter 2, we saw uh, this little girl, this little Jewish girl, orphaned, um, became the most powerful woman in Persia. Uh, She was crowned queen uh, because uh, the king there, Xerxes, had a beauty pageant. And God used small, very small little things to be able to set her up to become a person of influence. And what we learned last week is that God wants to use our stories to impact somebody else's story. That God wants to use every part of your story and every part of my story, all the good times, but even the bad things and the painful things. That God can use all of that mess and all of that junk in our life, just as he did in Esther. And God used all of that stuff in Esther's life, even the painful stuff, to set her up for influence. So that's what we looked at last week. We saw Esther. She was an orphan. And then we also looked at a a fellow by the name of Mordecai, who was Esther's cousin. And he was a Jew, and he was not living where he was supposed to be living. Today, we're going to be meeting the bad guy of the story. Up to this point, not been a lot of issues. um, But this, uh, this, today, we meet, um, we meet Darth Vader. We meet um, Adolf Hitler. We meet, um, we meet Lord Voldemort. So, uh, anyway, so, um, uh, we're, his name, by the way, this bad guy's name is Haman. So I'm just going to go ahead and get this out of the way. When I say Haman, y'all need to boo. All right. So let's try this Haman. All right. Good. Y'all are Y'all are pretty good. All right. Y'all are, y'all are like, I think even sometimes more with it than the 11 o'clock crowd. So I'm going to say thank you so much. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Uh, if you have your one church Bibles, turn to page 385. And that's where we're going to be looking uh, at Esther chapter 3, verse 1. Now, if you don't have the One Church Bible, but you're trying to find it, if you open up in the middle, you're going to see Psalms, you're going to take a left, you're going to go, there's Job, you're going to go before that, and you're going to see Esther. So, we're going to look at Haman. All right, y'all are good. All right, cool. All right, sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman the Agagite. Over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. King Xerxes promoted this dude by the name of... Yes, uh, by the name of Haman. This dude was the... He was so evil and he was so driven. And we're going to see this dude is filled with so, so much hatred. That this fella is going to literally want to annihilate the Jews... Millions of Jews at that time. In fact, anytime you think, when, when you hear the word Haman, you're going to hear the, you want you to think, boo. You want you to think Hitler. All right, so Haman and Hitler, put, put, kind of put them together. All right, so verse 2, chapter 3, all of the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow or to show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? And they spoke to him day after day, but he still refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct. Since Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. We're gonna, that's going to play in here in a little bit. When Haman 
saw Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. I mean, why was this dude filled with rage? Well, guys, I mean, we could probably understand this probably more than the ladies, but anytime when you feel disrespected, when you feel like your ego has been bruised and your pride has taken a hit, then um, we're like a wounded lion many times. Um, And that's normal, but we're going to see Haman do something with his wounded pride that he he really level jumps here. Uh, I mean, he gets even way more intense. Um, Haman had learned of Mordecai's nationality and decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. Now, this is Persia, which is modern-day Iran. That's exactly right. But it's much bigger than Iran is now. It literally, it's the entire Middle East, if you will. So this fella, uh, he has been promoted to the right-hand man of King Xerxes. He has the power now to make laws. And he has the power to make laws, and you couple with that, that he is just an evil, mean hater of a person, that we're going to see him want to literally cause a holocaust of millions of Jews. Haman is superstitious, so in order for him to come up with this plan, he says, okay, it's going to happen here, and he throws some dice. He throws some dice to see which is the best day to kill all the Jews. Look at verse 7. So in the month of April, during the 12th year of King Xerxes' reign, dice were cast in Haman's presence to determine the best day in the month to kill the Jews. And the day was selected was March 7th. By the way, what is today? Huh. Ain't that something? It is. What what today? It's the 8th, isn't it? No, it's the 7th. It's amazing. It's almost like it's coincidence. Mm. All right. So dice are thrown to determine when he is going to literally kill millions of Jews. I mean, this dude is so evil. He is shooting craps with people's souls and lives. I mean, he is, he, he's, just, he's just into it. I mean, think about, I mean, talk about bad luck. I mean, shooting dice, where is God in all this? You know, that's one of the things, and that was our big idea for the, the first week of the book of Esther. Where is God in all of this? Well, we're going to see that God is even in the role of the dice here. In fact, look what Proverbs 16.33 says. It says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. You know, though we don't see God make himself extremely obvious, we see that God is in control even in the role of a dice, even in the role of dice determining when millions of people are going to be slaughtered. This dice could have landed on next week. It could have landed on March the 13th. And they only have six days yet to live. But yet God was in control of even the dice that we see that God is in control behind the scenes. And God, through his providence, gives them 11 months. And then God is going to be doing some stuff in that 11 months. We're going to be seeing in the rest of the book of Esther. Look at verse 13. Dispatchers were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all the Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be. Now, look at those next three words. He could have just said, must be killed. 
But what did he say? Must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. I mean, this dude has some issues. This dude has some problems. He needs counseling. All right? So, killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March the 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given by those who killed them. Now, think about this. And this is where we're going to be spending the rest of the time on. Why was Haman so enraged? I mean, why was this dude so angry and so ticked and so filled with hatred? And what we don't see here on the pages of this book, we're going to have to look at another book intersect, is that these groups, these people groups, the Jews and the people group that Haman came from, the Agagites, whoever they are, they have some history. Um, uh, in fact, um, not only do these people groups have some really bad blood, it's a really bad history, um, Mordecai and his family tree and Haman and his family tree has some, a lot of history. I want you to think Hatfields and McCoys, okay? I mean, these people hate each other. So what's the backstory? Where is, where is all of this hatred stemming from? Well, um, the Jews and these Agagites. Well, if you remember, I'm going to throw this up here in verse 5 of Esther chapter 2. Mordecai, he was from the tribe of what? Benjamin. And he was a descendant of a dude by the name of Kish. Now, what we're going to look at is Mordecai, coming from this tribe of Benjamin, descendant of Kish, was a direct descendant of the very first king of Israel. 500 years before Esther happened. This happened in 483 B.C. I want you to back up 500 years more. 500 years before this. And we're going to see the very first king of Israel. His name is King Saul. Everybody say Saul. King Saul is going to have a a, a run-in with these Agagites. These Agagites. This rivalry originates centuries earlier. In fact, I got a video clip that's going to kind of give you a picture of where this is going. Y'all watch this. The next thing you know, it was the tribes of Israel who decided to ask God for a king. <laughs> They've all heard it. I am the Lord's prophet. Samuel. And yesterday, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Tomorrow, at about this time, you'll meet a man out of the tribe of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the captain of my people and to save them from the Ammonites and the Philistines. blessing. The Lord has anointed you as prince over all Israel. Listen to the word of the Lord. Obey his commandments. Your enemies will flee and your kingdom shall prosper. Rise to your feet. I'm your humble servant, my Lord King, 
Whatever the Lord asks of me, I'll do it. South of here, there's a camp of the Amalekites. Since we are a nation, they are the most brutal enemies of Israel. Their leader, Agog, is a vicious murderer, a man of evil. God wants you to remove him. Simply do as God commands. Destroy the Amalekites, completely soul. Men, women, children, cattle, everything. So, we see a prophet by the name of Samuel anoint a dude from the tribe of Benjamin. His name is Saul, and he is the first king of Israel. And God told Saul, I want you to wipe out this this nation, this group of people who were so evil that they had been the thorn in Israel's side for years. I mean, evil, evil, evil stuff. I, I'd love to be able to go into some of the details of just how evil they were, but I just don't have enough time. Um, I like history. Some of you may not. So uh, you, you can read it and you can Google it. Um, but God tells Saul, I want you to do what to the Malachites? To annihilate them. I want you to destroy everything. I want you to destroy even the cattle. Now, wh- here's the thing. He got a direct um, communication from God to his prophet Samuel. I want you to do this, but we're getting ready to see that Saul does not obey. Saul does not obey. Saul keeps all of the good stuff for himself and, uh, and gets rid of everything else. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12. And this is where we're going to stay for the rest of the, rest of the morning. This is on page 222 of the One Church Bible. It says this. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find King Saul. When Samuel the prophet found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully and said, May the Lord bless you. I've carried out all of the Lord's commands. Look at there. I mean, God bless you. I've carried him all out. Now, we're going to find out that he's just covering his hindquarters here because he's not carried out God's commandments. God told them to do what? To completely destroy the Amalekites, right? Now, look at what it says, verse 14. Saul says, I've carried out the Lord's command. And Samuel asked... Why then do I hear cattle mooing and sheep bleeding? (laughs) I mean, think about that. Mm. I've carried it all out. And Samuel, look at what Samuel says. (laughs) Why am I hearing these things? All right. Well, and then Saul replies, it is true that the army, look how he shifts the blame. He's the leader, but he's shifting the blame. It's not me, it's the army. The army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. And, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. I mean, look, he, now he's moving to manipulation. We have destroyed everything else. Oh, and by the way, and I brought back King Agag. Okay, God told him to do, destroy everything, right? And he says he, he followed God's command. Except he kept all of the sheep and goats and all the cattle alive. And he kept the king alive. By the way, king who? I'm sorry, what was that? Haman is Haman the Agagite. Guess where Haman comes from? You see, this is what's so amazing. Mordecai 
He comes from the line of King Saul. And Haman, he's an Agagite who comes from the king of the Amalekites, King Agag. And Saul is saying, I've destroyed everything. I've followed God completely. And Samuel's going, not even quite. Look at this, verse 21. Then the troops brought the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle and plunder. Now, see, now it was just the sheep and the goats and the king. And now there's plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. King is saying, I've kept all of this stuff and I'm going to give it back to God. I, God, I mean, I'm keeping all this stuff and I'm going to give it back to him. But Samuel replied and said, now look at this. Does the Lord really want sacrifices and offerings? What's the answer? No. He doesn't want your sacrifices. Okay. Now, if he doesn't want your sacrifices, what do you think he wants? Does he want you to attend church more? Does he want you to give more in the offering plate? Does he want um, you to what? He says he wants you to obey him. He wants you to obey him. Do you know what God wants from me? Do you want to know what God wants from you? God wants more than your worship. God wants more than just singing your words to songs. God wants more than just throwing money in an offering bucket. God wants more than any of that. God wants you to obey him. That's what gets him excited. That's what he wants from you and me. He wants us to listen and obey. This is so very important. The only way to please God is for us to obey him. And when we disobey him, he is displeased. And there's always consequences to our disobedience. The Bible calls our disobedience when we don't obey. The Bible calls that sin. So Mordecai is from the line of King Saul. And Haman, he is a descendant of King Agag. And I want you to think through this. If King Saul had obeyed God, then 500 years later, you would not have a madman by the name of Haman threatening to kill millions of people. Think through that. That if King Saul would have obeyed God that there would not have been this threat to God's people 500 years later. This is our big idea today. Our big idea is that sin affects you. Sin affects you, but it never stops with you. Let's say that out loud. Sin affects you, but it never stops with you. Disobedience affects me. Disobedience affects you, but it never stops with just me or just you. Now, here's why we need to camp out on this. Because many times when we, when we sit down and we're thinking through and we go through our bad habits and we run to our addictions and we run to our disobedience and sin and all of this stuff, here's our mindset. That my junk isn't, isn't affecting anybody else. That my problems, my addictions, they're not affecting anybody else. And that, the Bible teaches us, is a lie. It's like having a lady who is pregnant taking crack cocaine and saying, you know what, I'm only hurting myself. 
Is that true? I'm sorry. No. Because when that, when that mom gives birth to that little baby, that little baby is addicted. That little baby is a crack child. That little baby has been impacted by somebody else's disobedience, sin, and addictions. This is what the Bible teaches. And I'll tell you, I'm gonna, we're going to throw this verse up in here, and some of you are going to think, well, that's just not right. That just ain't fair. You may have not been in church in a long time, and you say, that's the reason why I stopped going to church. I'm just going to throw that out there. That might be the case. And there's an answer to the fair problem. I'll get ready to get to it. This is what Exodus 34, 7 says, that the sins of the parents are upon the children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And again, some of you go, well, that's just not fair. That's just not fair. You know what? It's not fair. It's not fair. Your children deserve better, so stop screwing up. Thanks for coming to One Church. Seriously. You know, we have a tendency to blame God for the mess that we cause. Right? I mean, I, I do. God, why? Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was your bad choice. Right? That was you. You loved sinning and disobeying me more or just the fun of it. And hear me, sometimes disobeying God's fun. For a while, until it starts affecting our children, and our children's children, and their children's children. And 500 years later, we got this nasty, evil man who would have never, ever been around had one person said, you know what, I'm going to obey God. I am going to obey God. Do you want your kids to grow up bitter? How many of you want to see your kids grow up bitter? Let me see your hands. Anyone? All right, not better, bitter, B-I-T-T-E-R. There was a lot of hands went up. I'm going, y'all are some messed up parents. I just can't speak clearly. B-I-T-T-E-R. How many of y'all want your kids to grow up bitter? No one. You don't, you, okay, if you don't want your kids to grow up bitter, then stop being bitter, mom. Do you want your kids to grow up to be sex addicts? And dad, stop looking at porn online. Do you want your kids to grow up just being angry and violent? Then stop getting into fights. You see, our stuff never just stops with us. It impacts our children and our children's children and their children. You know, amazingly enough, and this just, just really just kind of rocked my world. Some of y'all are going, oh... You know what the word agag means? The word agag means angry. Do you know you know what Haman sounds like in the original language in Hebrew? <laughs> Wrath. Do you know what happens when you start with an when an agag, when you start with anger and 500 years later if nobody breaks that cycle, you know what you have? Wrath. And see some of you That's exactly where you're at because your mess didn't start with you. It started maybe with your parents or your grandparents or your great-great-grandparents. Because anytime you start with anger, you're eventually, if if you don't stop it, and if God doesn't stop it, you're going to have a bunch of wrath on your hands. This series is called Becoming a Person of Influence. You want to know how you can become a person of influence? You want to know how you can change your children? How you can even change your children's children? 
by allowing God to change you. By you coming clean and saying, you know what? This is going to stop with me. You see, all of us, we're going to influence our kids. That's not the question. All of us are going to influence our children. It's are we going to influence them positively or are we going to influence them negatively? But we will have an influence. I mean, and let's just get really practical. What are you doing? What have you done this past week that you want your children to emulate what you were doing this past week 20 years from now? Think through that. What are you doing right now that you want your kids to emulate what you're doing 20 years from now? Reading the Bible? I want my kids to read the Bible. Uh, Praying? I want my kids to pray. To be generous? I want my kids to be generous. To not think of themselves first, but to think of others first? Yeah, I want my kids that. Then you know what? Then maybe you should start doing that. Crazy, I know. Uh, Let let me do the inverse of that. What are you doing, what have you done this past week that you don't want your kids to be doing 20 years from now? Worrying? Controlled by fear? Unforgiveness? You see, if you don't want your kids to do what you're doing now, then you've got to stop doing it today. Because you will influence them. That's just how it works. That's just how it works. You can be that change in your children's future, but you got to change today. The reason why a Haman existed was because a person chose not to obey God and, and it almost wiped out an entire people group. You want to be a person of influence and you got to obey. So what's your agag? What's your agag this morning? Because if you don't deal with it, it's going to become a Haman. It will happen. Now, I got... I got some good news for us all, is that God can break the cycle. God can break the cycle. God can break the cycle of of addictions and habituals, uh, habitual bad choices and sin and all of this junk that you have in your life and I have in my life. God can put a stop to it. How does that happen? Well, the the first way it happens... I mean, and hear me, if you're here this morning, and again, you don't have this, this is where you begin. Because you don't begin by making New Year's resolutions, well, I'm just going to stop it this year. You don't, you don't begin by saying, you know what, I've got more willpower. I'm going to be more disciplined. No, that's, that's not where it starts. You're not that disciplined, and you don't have that much willpower. The first way to break this cycle is, number one, here it is, give your life to Jesus. Give not just your heart, but your life to him. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. God can break this destructive cycle. Not you, but God. And if you don't have a relationship with him... How you have a relationship with him is you come to him and you pray and you say, God, I ask you, God, that you would come into my heart and into my life, that you would forgive me of all of my bad choices, my sin, my disobedience. And Lord, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm giving you my life. And he will hear you and he will cover all of your sins. So that's where it begins. 
Now, after you pray a prayer, this, okay, you're just magically, poof, I'm all fixed. How many of y'all are Christians in here? Are you just magically fixed? Who's just magically fixed? Some of you may have got it, but, you know, most of us are like, I still got my baggage. So what do you do? All right, this is a great beginning, but what's the next step? The next step is this, and this really is big, is stop blaming everybody else for your bad choices. Stop blaming blaming everybody else for your bad choices. You may have learned how to gossip from your mom. You may have gotten your explosive temper from your father. But you may have learned that behavior, but who is making that choice to have that behavior now? You and me. So you have to stop blaming other people for your junk. And you got to take responsibility for it. I'll, I'll never forget, um, I was serving, uh, this is not my notes, so this is a little scary. I was serving uh, in a church in Auburn, Alabama, War Eagle. And uh, I remember uh, uh, there was a uh, minister of like music. That's kind of like what Josh does, except Josh is a whole lot cooler. And um, this dude, and I won't mention his name, but uh, he, uh, he was like 60 years old. I mean, older dude. He's probably 55, 60 years old. So not old dude, but older. I'm going to say that. I'm, I'm killing myself here. So I realized that I'm on a limb, and I'm jumping up and down. I'm on the very end, so I'm going to step back. He was really young. Um, and, uh, and I remember he had this explosive temper. And they had choirs you know, in their church, and he would get in front of the choir and start cussing at them and yelling at them. I kid you not. And uh, when people would confront him about this stuff, he says, well, you know, I was, it's because I'm unloved as a child. And eventually I said to this dude, I said, listen, you're 60 years old. That may have worked when you were five. It's time for you to take responsibility. And that's exactly what many of us need to do. We need to take responsibility and stop blaming somebody else. Because blaming, you spell blaming by being lame. All right, you'll never forget that. Next one, third choice is this. The third thing you need to start doing after you stop blaming is you got to, you got to go down and you turn around. You got to stop what you're doing. If you're going this direction, you've got to stop what you're doing and you got to decide to go another way. If you're gossiping, you've got to stop gossiping and you got to go the other way. The Bible calls this repentance or repent. And look at how it says uh, in this verse, great, great verse here. It says in Ezekiel, it says, repent and turn from your sins. Now, repent means what? Turn, right? So he's saying turn and turn from your sins, basically. Don't let them destroy you. You see, we're like in a car going 60 miles an hour and we just passed the bridge outside. We've got to stop what we're doing. We've got to slam on the brakes. We've got to make a U-turn, and we've got to keep on going. Because if we keep on going the direction that we're going, we will destroy and ruin our life. God allows U-turns. And that means we've got to stop where we're going, and we've got to turn. And then lastly, lastly, we have to admit our sins to God and admit our sins to somebody else. Look at this. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, says, But if we admit our sins to God, He can be trusted to forgive us, and our sins will be wiped away. You see, if we come clean with God and we admit Him to God, He's going to forgive us. Now, but look at this next part. 
Unless we admit our sins to somebody else, we're going to keep on sinning. We're going to keep on just naturally drifting towards all of our baggage and stuff. Look at what it says in James chapter 5, verse 16. So, what does it say? Admit your sins to each other and pray for each other. You see, confessing or admitting our sins to God, we get forgiveness. But it's when we admit our sins to each other that somebody is able to hold us accountable... And eventually we're going to stop sinning because we're going to be too embarrassed when somebody says, hey, are you still doing that? Yeah. Well, didn't you say you were doing that last week? Yeah. Didn't you say you were doing it the week before? And that's when you want to punch somebody in the throat, right? Yeah. And let me tell you where this happens here at one church. It doesn't happen here. Seriously, y'all want to turn to each other and admit your most darkest darkest sins? I don't, right? Because you don't know me and I don't know you. But where this does happen is in our community groups. It's finding somebody. If you're a guy, you're finding another guy. If you're a lady, you're finding another lady. And you're admitting your sins to one another so that they can hold you accountable. You're giving them permission to ask you those tough, difficult questions. Hey, how you doing reading the Bible? Not too good. I got a friend. Uh, um, his name is Bill. He's uh, out here. How you doing, Bill? And uh, one of the things, uh, um, uh, Bill's, uh, we're in the same community group, and I asked Bill to hold me accountable uh, when it comes to spending time with my children. And um, I don't know, uh, in my mind, I think in order for me to be a good parent, that I need to regularly eat lunch with my children at their school. Now, I'm not saying you got to do that. This is some weird pressure I'm putting on myself, okay? So can you be a good parent and never eat with them? Of course. But I, this is something God's convicted me of. And one of the things I asked Bill to do uh, one morning is, Bill, I want you to ask me regularly, Am I, have I been eating with my kids? And after about the fourth time when Bill asked me that, and my answer was no every time, I'm like, i got to get this dude off my back. Right? Because that's what accountability does. So I just want to, where I want to land today and where I want to end is just by saying, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now or what are you not doing right now that is impacting and influencing your children? Because your sin, it will affect you, but it never stops with you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to move on to them and it's going to move on to their kids. And it's going to move on to their kids of their kids. And if somebody doesn't do those steps that we just looked at, that they give their heart to Jesus, they stop blaming everybody else and they start forgiving. Um, they start, um, stop what they're doing and turn around. If they, if, they, if they start admitting their sins to God and other people, that unless that happens, that cycle will keep on going on and on and on until you're going to have an agag or you're going to have an anger person that's eventually going to become wrath, going to become Haman. So what are you doing right now that God is calling you to stop doing. And in your mind, you're just thinking, I'm not hurting anybody else. That is a lie. It's a lie. You are destroying yourself. You're destroying your family. And it will ultimately destroy you. Now, 
the great thing, the positive thing about this, you're thinking, this is kind of deep and heavy. Well, it is. The great thing and what we're going to be seeing next week in Esther chapter 4 is even through those cycles and through all the stuff that God can step in and break it because God is in control. But we have to make ourselves available to him and then he can use us. Lord, we love you, God. And I just, I thank you so much, Lord, that um, we have, uh, in history like this, there's some very real practical applications. Lord, that all of us, all of us, we have a tendency to run towards something and run towards someone, run towards an addiction, run towards a bad habit. And God, I pray that we would stop lying to ourselves. That it's not really, not really impacting anybody's life but ours. Lord, that we may have some soldiers who are getting ready to go overseas. And Lord, our tendency can be towards run to a certain thing or a certain lifestyle or a certain way or a certain thought process. And we think it's, it's not going to impact my kids back home. It's not going to impact my wife or my husband back home. But it does. It does. And it will. It will affect us. But it never just stops with us. Lord, I pray that, that you would allow us to come clean this morning, Lord. And if there's someone there, I mean, just in their seat right now, and they're just thinking, I don't think I have a relationship with God. I am not a follower of Christ. God, I pray that they would be able to just go to you right now and they would start admitting their sins. Admitting their sins. Because your word says if we admit our sins to you, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us and to cleanse us, to wipe away all of those sins. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen.